Well, good morning. It's good to hear you. It's good to see you. It's good to see, well, to, for you to see us, I suppose, joining us online. Welcome to worship this morning. And Emma said earlier in the run-through, what a privilege to announce Chad. And I just shouted from backstage, you're welcome. <laughs> Glad I could afford her that opportunity. We'll be talking about fear today. I hope everybody had a wonderful, safe, and uh, sweet-filled Halloween yesterday. Did anybody bring any candy to make it through the sermon? Give them a little helps, you know what I mean? Maybe a few of you did. If you have a Butterfinger or a Kit Kat, just think of me when you eat those. Those are some of my favorites, and uh, we had a great time with the family doing that. Actually, we have a fun Halloween story for the sermon here today, if that's all right. It's a dark and stormy night. People are afraid, and they even see a ghost. Uh, so that, that, that should be fun in just a minute as we unpack that. Uh, last week, Jeff talked about anger. And he said that he thinks he drew the short straw that he had to talk on anger in the series. And I thought about that, and I think that's a fair point. But I think it's also a fair point to say that in the middle of a global pandemic, on the Sunday before the election, I have to talk about fear. <laughs> I feel like that's a close second, at least, at least. So what I'd like to do, have some fun with you guys, I want to test your fear knowledge. So I'm going to say a phobia, and you can think, think the answer, you can talk about the answer, share it with someone close to you. Maybe you can post this uh, in the comments. So I'm going to give you the word, and then you're going to have to guess what phobia it is, all right? Test your fear knowledge. I'm going to give you a softball first, low-hanging fruit, arachnophobia. Right, it is the fear of spiders. I almost walked headfirst into one of those bad boys the other day. I did not know he was there. All right, next, aerophobia. Aerophobia. Anybody? It's the fear of planes or flying. Anybody have that fear of flying? Everybody gets a little nervous, but some of you may get really nervous. How about ergophobia? Ergophobia. This is a good one. This is the fear of work. <laughs> Monday morning, I wake up, I'm like, ergophobia, hands down, ergophobia. I'm, I gotta call it in, call it in. They, they, I think like it used to just be called good old-fashioned laziness, but now it's ergophobia. Uh, acrophobia, acrophobia, anybody? It is the fear of heights, heights. Does that picture scare you? <laughs> Ablutophobia, just a couple more. Ablutophobia. It's the fear of bathing. It's, it's not just your adolescent parents. It's a real condition. It's the fear of bathing. And last one, on and on and on a phobia. It's the fear of long sermons. <laughs> Anybody really struggle with that one? Yeah, that dude does. I'm watching you this morning. Well, we've been on our series called All the Feels, and we believe that our hearts are a gift of God, that he has wired us and given us a heart that is made in his image and meant to reflect his image, and in our hearts we have emotions, we have feelings, and we think those are gifts too. And so what we're trying to do is better steward that gift of our heart. Steward those gifts of our feelings, to be able to identify them, name them by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, move forward helpfully in them so that we might become loving people, so that we might become people with bigger hearts, people with, the, with, with open hearts and open minds, that we might grow into maturity. And so we talked about compassion 
And each conversation is kind of a bit different. We talked about compassion and how we have to cultivate compassion and how we have to open our eyes wide to see the suffering and injustices in the world and let our hearts break for what breaks God's heart. And then we talked about grief. And we don't readily run towards pain. But when we grieve well, when we allow grief to shepherd us, it can take us into deeper places of intimacy with God and others. And then right on the heels of grief comes joy. And we talked about being surprised by joy, that we can't manage it, we can't control it, but we can put ourselves into a position to be surprised by it. And then last week we talked about anger and how we have to redirect and allow Christ to redeem it, to really be angry at the significant problems in the world and to mobilize ourselves and others to say, we've got to fix that. That should not exist. That's how we redeem anger. But what about fear? What do we do with fear? And I think the conversation around fear is a little bit different because it's not only a feeling, but it's a core driver. In fact, it can drive other feelings such as anger or jealousy. It can be a core driver. So what do we do with that? And I'm not talking that, that all fear is bad. We need a healthy survival fear, right? A healthy survival fear that says, I shouldn't get in the car and drive 100 miles an hour with no seatbelt. That's a healthy survival fear. Or it wakes you up in, in the middle of the night. You hear the bump in the middle of the night and you're, you wake and you, that's when you nudge your spouse and you say, I think you should check it out. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> it's a healthy survival fear. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. But what do we do with fear that threatens our thriving? What do we do with that fear? It threatens our thriving. Maybe we fear the future. And so we villainize other people or other tribes that we think are a part of that threat and we demonize them and we say they're the other. Maybe we're afraid of rejection. So we become people pleasers and we work really hard to not experience rejection, but we kind of lose ourselves in the middle of that and we try to please others. Maybe we fear failure. And so we never try anything new. We never take any risks. We don't have any faith steps, so to speak. What's your fear? And what is our conversation around fear? And I think it's this. I think we have to face and fight our fears. I think we have to face and fight our fears. My content this morning is pretty simple, but it's very difficult to do. We have to face and fight our fears. Now, in the church, there's this really powerful thing that works against facing our fear. It's called denial. And often what we do is we use denial to not face anything difficult. And we know the Sunday school answer is that we shouldn't be afraid. In fact, over a hundred times, the Bible says, don't be afraid. And so what we do is we think to ourselves, I'm not supposed to be afraid. So then we tell ourselves, I'm not afraid. And then we present that self to other people. I'm not afraid when maybe we really are and we deny it. So first we have to face it. And sometimes life throws your fear in your face for you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was walking down the hall this week and Chris Carver stopped me and uh, he said to me, what's your worst fear? And I said, oh, I didn't know our relationship is at that level, but here we go. I looked at him and I said, hands down, no hesitation, losing a child. We have four children, losing a child. And it was really difficult when we had our third child, our only son, Boaz, and he was six weeks old and we moved into a condo that was filled with mold and we didn't know it. About a week later, he was hospitalized. He was diagnosed with viral meningitis. And the doctor met with us and he just said, I'm not exactly sure what's gonna happen. He may not make it. 
and I was stricken with terror, stricken with fear, and life threw it in my face. And I didn't do it perfectly that week or those weeks following, but I had to continue to pray and continue to entrust my son, my only son, over to the hands of the Father who loved him more than I do. And I had to continue to fight that fear. Now, you know the story, you know the end of the story because my son is alive and he'll be here at 1045 and he's doing well and he's all sorts of boy, but I still have that fear. And maybe because of that fear, maybe I react and now I'm a little too protective or a little too overbearing. You see, the fight with fear never finishes. We're always going to have to engage with this foe called fear. So we have to get battle ready. If we think we can just relax and it's over and I've got that managed, think again. Think again. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this, we fight in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware of his schemes. The Greek word here is schemata. It's a military word. It gives the notion that it's a commander of an army mobilizing forces to go to war against an opposing army. And Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of the devil's schemata, the devil's schemes. And one of the things I would argue that Satan uses a lot in our lives is fear is fear. So I'd simply like to read the passage. We're going to be in Matthew 14, and I'd like to talk about three schemes of fear. What does fear aim to do in our lives, and how do we fight it? That's what I'd like to do. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. You can follow along on the screen or on your device or on your Bible, and we're going to talk about three fear schemes and how do we fight it. Matthew 14, 22, a little bit of a Halloween story for us. Here we go. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. It's a dark night. It's a stormy. You get the setting. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God, one of the first Schemes of fear is that fear twists reality. Fear attempts to twist reality. It doesn't take a good thing and make it bad. It takes a good thing and it turns it. It takes the truth and it twists it just a little bit. It casts doubt on the truth. Did God really say? You see, look at this in verse 25. Shortly, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, on the one hand, you can completely, we completely sympathize with the disciples. They're on a boat. They've been out there all night. 
They don't know where Jesus is. The wind is picking up. It's white capping. It may be splashing into the boat. They're already pretty nervous about what's going on. And then all of a sudden, they see what they think is an apparition walking towards them. And on the one hand, you can understand. They think, it's not Jesus, it's a ghost. But on the other hand, they've already been with Jesus a considerable amount of time in his ministry. They've already seen a minimum of 19 miracles from the hand of Jesus. They've seen him turn water into wine. They've seen him heal the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof by his friends. They have seen him cure leprosy. They have seen him anger the religious people when on the Sabbath he healed a man with a withered hand. They have seen Jesus raise a widow's son from the dead. And they've even seen him calm a storm already. And so on the other hand, we have to stop and think, but wait a second, why did they not pause and think to themselves, we've already seen some crazy things go on at the hand of Jesus, maybe we should pause and what if this is him? What's at work? It's fear. It twists our perception. It skews our vision. It causes us to not see Jesus very clearly. It causes us to not see ourselves or others very clearly. It causes us to not see truth and reality very clearly. You see this again illustrated in this passage, this very same passage. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Do you see what happened? He was out on the water and he was focused on Jesus, and then all of a sudden, what did he do? He took his eyes off Jesus, and it says he saw the wind, and in that moment, fear is at work, and it twisted his perception of reality, and the wind was more powerful than the Savior. The creation was more powerful than the Creator. That's what fear wants to do. It wants to twist our reality, twist the truth, twist our vision of God, others, and self. But it doesn't quite show up and say, hey, I'm fear, this is what's going on, here's how you fight me. Fear often shows up in the shadows. It shows up in the dark. It shows up in maybe the recesses of our heart that we didn't know it was there driving us. For example, let's say you have a fear of being bad or a fear of being unworthy or a fear of punishment. I have that fear. It doesn't show up and say, I have this fear of being bad. It simply might manifest itself in a deep-seated feeling of, I'm bad. Something's wrong with me. This is part of my story growing up and part of, probably partially because I have abuse in my background and so there's a lot of things going on there uh, in my upbringing, but I was afraid of being bad and so what I did to escape that feeling of being bad is maybe what many church people do is we try to be really, 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 really good. You know what I mean? And it turns into a form of perfectionism. We become perfectionists and we present a false self to others because we're really afraid of showing our shadow side or our sinful side. Can you relate to that? Perfectionism is just fear dressed up nice in a tux. And so I was afraid of being bad and been trying really, really hard to be good. And you say, well, how hard are you trying? Well, I work at a church. <laughs> been trying really hard. And some of you may say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? And I would say, well, fear can't actually transform us into loving people. It can't do it. 
It might be a place to start, but it's never a place to stay. Listen to 1 John 4, 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And you see this? The Bible understands the deep wisdom, the deep psychology of human nature. It knows that fear and love are actually incompatible. They cannot coexist. And so when we sang that song earlier, it's very, very true that my fear or our fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in God's love. It really doesn't because love drives out fear. And so if we're afraid of punishment, what do we still need to grow in? The love of God. Because to fear punishment is actually to fear the Father. And it breaks the Father's heart when we're afraid of him. Because he gives his love unconditionally and freely. Maybe you're afraid of not being enough. You feel inadequate. This often shows up in the masculine psyche where we are afraid that we don't have what it takes. And so we know all the answers. We have all the directions. We do not need to stop and ask for directions. And thank God for GPS because that has saved our ego so many times. I don't have to stop anymore and ask for directions. I have the GPS, right? But we know all the answers. We have the directions. We have what it takes. And so we can't ever admit, yeah, I'm afraid I don't have what it takes. I'm afraid I don't know the answer. And shame attaches itself here because men do not want to be perceived as weak. We do not want to be perceived as not knowing. And maybe that's a fear of inadequacy driving us. I've heard this from friends and my wife, from women often, that maybe they have a different fear. They fear they're too much. I'm afraid I'm extra. I'm afraid if I really let all the 10,000 pounds of my soul out that you would think there's something off about me. I'm afraid if I let you in on how my emotions really feel and all my thought processes, you might think I'm crazy and I'm afraid I'm too much, so I'm just gonna pull back and filter and hide. How is fear twisting our reality and how do we fight that? We fight with faith in the truth. We fight Fear with faith in the truth. If fear twists the road before us, truth makes it straight so that we can walk upon it. John 8, 32 says this, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we fight with faith in the truth. Some of those things that I mentioned just a minute ago are actually half-truths. I wanna talk about half-truths for just a second, all right? I'm not very nice to church billboards. I'm still getting saved in that area, so I'm still working on it. I drove by a church billboard the other day, and I read it, and hopefully you don't know about this church billboard, but uh, I saw it, and it said, all half-truths are whole lies. And I thought about that for a second, and I thought, well, that's not true, so that billboard's a lie. So I picked up my phone and made a quick phone call. I'm just kidding, I didn't call him. (laughs) But actually, all half-truths are not whole lies. Half-truths are powerful and, and they're used by fear because there's partial truth in them. They're partially true. They just don't tell the whole truth. And the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, actually wants us to know the whole truth Half-truths aren't long enough. It's like, a, it's like half of a book. It doesn't tell the whole story. So the fear of being bad, there's actually something in there that's partially true. I am a sinner. I do need redemption. I do have something that is broken that needs fixed. But the gospel 
provides the answer and says, in and of Christ, I've deemed, I've deemed good. I have his righteousness. I have his clean clothes to cover me. Maybe we fear we're not enough and we're inadequate. That's partially true. I don't have what it takes, but in Christ, I do have what it takes. Maybe we fear that we're extra and we can't let our whole self out. And in Christ, he says, I can hold all of you. I can hold everything about you and I delight in everything about you. You see, we have to fight those half-truths. We have to say, no, 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 tell the whole story. Tell the whole story. Then we can be on our way to being set free. And one of the ways we fight with faith in the truth is we take the scripture to heart. And we have some type of daily or weekly rhythm where we meditate, we journal, we write down passages, we prayerfully read passages, and we say, God, I'm trying to saturate my mind and heart with your truth so that you might set me free. I'm doing a, a Emotional Intelligence 2.0 with a few guys here in the church. I'm doing a little bit of it with our staff. It's a, been a great book uh, and, uh, that I've, I've done previously in some leadership training. And one of the strategies that Emotional Intelligence 2.0 talks about for being self-aware is that we have to know our inner dialogue. We have to know our self-talk, like what's going on inside of us. And I just wanna ask you the question this morning, are we aware of our fear talk? Are we aware of our fear talk? You see, because we all have this conversation with fear. How's it going? What is the tone? What's the dialogue? Did you know that fear has only one word in the drama of life? Only one word. If you ever signed up for a play and you had a lot to memorize, you should be jealous. Fear has only one word. It steps on stage in the drama of life and it simply says this, no. No, no. And it manifests itself in maybe 10,000 different ways, such as you can't, God can't, God won't, and it's too late. Did you hear that? Those are all different versions of no. Are you aware of the fear talk going on inside. And what we have to do with fear is say, hey, you've been great, you keep me alive, that's great, so we're not gonna completely throw you out, and guess what? You can come along for the ride, but you can't drive anymore. You can sit in the back. Because when we fight with faith in the truth, we begin to think things like, I can, we can, God can, God will, and it's never too late. Fear wants to twist reality, and we have to fight with faith in the truth. Secondly, fear targets the unknown. Fear targets the unknown. Maybe we fear what's gonna happen in the future because it's uncertain, and I think that's understandable. We're in the midst of a global pandemic that is causing a lot of stress, and I've, I've talked with many people that are under a lot of duress right now and a lot of stress, and just as a side note, I've said, what if we don't make major decisions? while we're in this pandemic? What if we just push pause on major decisions like, hey, I don't know if our relationship is gonna make it, or hey, I need to shift careers, or hey, I'm gonna quit this job. What if we just pause and say, maybe we're just under a lot of stress and fears at work, so we can, we can just hold off until that. That was a bit of an aside, that's for free, it's on the house, don't worry, I'm just throwing that out there for you. But we get afraid of the future because we don't know what's gonna happen. And then we start to think people that threaten our future, well, they're the enemy. But the Bible's really clear that no flesh and blood is our enemy. We wage war in the heavenly realms. We fight against fear. 
And both parties are doing this, and all parties do this. In fact, some of the political ads that you watch and see, they're playing on fear. They're not saying, here's what we're going to do well. They're saying, if this other guy gets in, it's going to be, and it plays on our fears. Are we aware of that? We're afraid of the future. We think it's uncertain, but I would just argue that in some senses, the future's always been uncertain. And in other senses, the Bible's really clear that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want you to hear me. Do we believe in his faithfulness today? And if he's been faithful today and right now, guess what? He'll be faithful then and there. The God of the present is the God of the past. The God of the past is the God of the present, and he's the God of the future. And if we believe and trust that he's with us now, he'll be with us then. If we fear the unknown, we fear people who aren't like us. I went to about 2017 to 2019, me, an uh, executive pastor, a friend of mine, we went to Ethiopia in Northern Africa to a, a small town called Diridarwa. And uh, I had never been to Africa. I'd been to different places of Europe. I've been to Mexico on mission trips, but I'd never been to Africa, so I didn't know what to expect. There was also a large Muslim population there, and we were going to be uh, training local pastors to go out and to evangelize and to reach um, Muslim people there. We were also very close to Somalia, and Somalia is an Islamic state, and there were quite a few different terrorist groups in Somalia that were only a few hours away from Diridarwa. So obviously, I was a little bit scared. And uh, we, you know, I kind of, I kind of locked up two weeks going into the trip and I said goodbye to my family and we went on the trip and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was like. I'd never been there. I'd never talked with anybody. But the more we got there and the more I interacted with people and the more I saw that they were human and that they were just like me and my fear began to subside. But we fear the unknown and we say, you don't think like me, act like me, talk like me, and you scare me, and you may be the problem with the country, or you may be the problem with the world, and we begin to villainize people who aren't like us. We fear targets the unknown. Look at this passage in John 11. John eleven forty eight through 52. If we let him go on like this, it's referring to Jesus. Everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Do you hear it? It's fear. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Most criminal psychologists will argue that acts done violently are rooted in anger. But anger is a secondary emotion. So then they go on to say that acts done violently are rooted first in fear. And you see this displayed in Caiaphas. And he says, you know, if, if we let Jesus keep doing this sort of thing, the Romans will come and they will take away our temple and our religion and our country and we can't let that happen. And guess who presided over the mock trial at the, of the Sanhedrin that sent Jesus to the cross? Caiaphas. Fear targets the unknown. So what do we do? We fight with humble curiosity. We fight with humble curiosity. Peter says, Peter said to Jesus, who walked on the water and they were scared, and Jesus said, Don't be afraid, take courage, it's me. Peter said, Well, if it's you, if it's you, is it really you? And he questioned. 
And when we have this posture with other people, I don't understand where you're coming from. I don't understand what you believe. I don't understand what you think. And maybe I'm a little bit afraid, but I want to get to know. I want to try to understand. I want to build a bridge, not a wall. That's what the church is called to do and say, you know what? Help me hear, help me hear where you're coming from. What's it like to be in your shoes? What's it like to be born where you are? What's it like to be that race? What's it like to practice sexuality different than I practice sexuality? Help me understand your story. And the more we do that, the more we take the unknown and we move it into the known, our fear subsides because we get to know people. <laughs> I got back from Africa and uh, our youngest, Isabella Izzy, she was about two or three years old and she's sitting in the car seat at the time and we're driving down the road, and she sees a car wash, and she says, oh, daddy, I schlared. And I said, what? She said, I schlared. And I said, you're scared? She said, yeah. Oh, I said, what are you schlared of? And she pointed over to the car wash, and I said, are you, are you schlared of the car wash? And she said, yeah. And I said, did mommy take you to the car wash when daddy was in Africa? Yeah, I schlared. <laughs> she was scared of the unknown. She didn't know it. And the more she grew, the more she experienced it, she's not afraid of a car wash anymore. The more we grow into the knowledge, the more we grow in understanding, the more we fight with humble curiosity, the less we'll be afraid. Lastly, fear twists reality, it targets the unknown. And lastly, fear traps you. Fear traps you. Check this out. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Friends, when we sing these songs about prison walls falling down, about being set free, I often sing them with the intent of attacking fear because I think in large part that's what they're aiming at because fear builds a prison, fear builds a wall. Fear wants to keep us trapped. Guess what? Fear is super happy if you stay in the boat. That's a win for fear. You stay in the boat, fear is excited. Fear rejoices. Guess what? Peter's the only one the only one who said, um, if it's you, tell me to get out of this boat. He's the only one who took a risk. He's the only one who potentially acted the fool. He's the only one who acted in courage. Jesus said, take courage, and Peter took him seriously. That Greek word, tharsao, to take courage, means to have a full heart. And when fear flooded their heart, Jesus said, take courage. And Peter said, I'm going to take you seriously. So here's my courage. It's faith in action. It's not a passive faith. When we say we have faith, but we don't act in courage, we have to question what kind of faith that is. It's not a faith that sits still. It's a faith that's in motion. And Peter says, hey, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat. And we have to fight with courage. We have to fight with courage. Courage has to do with action. It has to do with moving. It has to do with doing something. It has to do with doing something. FDR, and I'll kind of paraphrase, FDR said this, the courage is not the absence of fear. It's the assessment that there is something more important than our fear. There's something greater than our fear. There's a reality surrounding it that we need to choose to focus on. We fight with courage. We can't outthink fear. We can't outreason fear. Can you imagine? 
if, if, if there was just a pause on this scene in the boat and the disciples had a list and there was a list of reasons to get out of the boat, here's some reasons to get out of the boat. And can you imagine the list that they would make if there were reasons not to get out of the boat? That'd be a long list. Fear always wins in the list of reasons. It always wins. It's always gonna give us more reasons to stay in the boat. We can't outthink it. We can't outreason it. We can't outfeel it. So what do we do? We have to outdo it. We have to do something because fear loves for us to stay stuck where we are. Elizabeth Elliot, you may know a bit of her story. She was married to Jim Elliot, who was a missionary to a tribe down in South America to the Horani Indians. And him and five or four other missionaries were passionate about reaching this unreached people. And so what they did was Nate Saint, one of the men with them, he was a pilot, and they flew over the Huarani people, and they began to lower gifts, and they would begin to speak out of a megaphone, and they lowered gifts, and then they actually received, they picked up a few gifts from the Huarani people, and they landed far away, and they had one point of contact with these people, and it went well. So they thought to themselves, we think it's safe to go down, and for all, all five of us to now go and make contact. Well, they did, and it seemed to go okay until a week later, they came and made contact again, and they were all speared to death. They all lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. And Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, writes this, sometimes when we are called to obey, the fear does not subside and we are expected to move against the fear. One must choose to do it afraid. I love that. What do you need to do afraid? What do I need to do afraid? What is God calling us to do? And maybe we just have to do it afraid. And if we're waiting for the fear to subside, and if we're praying for the fear to subside and it does not, maybe God is just telling us, jump out of the boat and do it afraid. Sean Tucker, he's a pilot of an aerobatic plane and he does corkscrews and flies at high speeds and loops. And guess what? He has a fear of flying. He does it afraid. Emmanuel Axe, he's a Grammy-winning classic pianist. He won a Rubenstein contest when he was 26 years old. He's a professor at Juilliard. He's performed in, hundreds of thousands, in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And guess what? He's afraid of performing in front of people. He does it afraid. Every time I'm called to preach and stand in front of you, there's a large part of me that's stricken with fear. And it goes back to this inadequacy. Can I do it? Do I have what it takes? Can I show up? What will they think? Will they like it? Will they hate it? What will they do with me? Will I experience the pain of rejection? And guess what I'm called to do? Do it afraid. What are you called to do? This is the only move. If you don't hear anything else in this talk, please hear me. This is the main strategy against fear. Do it afraid. You wanna build spiritual friendships with your neighbors in your neighborhood. Do it afraid. You want to take a next step with your significant other, but it's risking rejection. Do it afraid. You want to be a spiritual leader in your home or lead a small group, and you're not sure if you have what it takes. Do it afraid. 
You want to give sacrificially and generously, but you don't know where the economic impact will land in 2021. Do it afraid. You want to confess a weakness and a struggle and a sin to someone that's close to you and you trust. Do it afraid. You want to have a tough talk with somebody that you've been needing to have for a long time. Do it afraid. You want to seek reconciliation with someone in your family that you've been at odds with for decades. Do it afraid. At your age, you've been called to start a new job or change careers or go to the mission field or go back to school and get a degree, guess what? Do it afraid. If we want to get out of the boat, I think the only reality that we have is that we have to choose to do it afraid. We don't know the outcome. We don't know what the water's like. Maybe we're a bit afraid of the wind and the circumstances surrounding us don't look great. And there's a bunch of people in the boat saying that's not gonna work. And we've been called to do it afraid. Bible says that Jesus experienced everything that we experienced and yet was without sin, so I would have to argue that he experienced fear. Perhaps in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's sweating blood. And he's saying to the Father, if it's possible, give me another way. Give me another way. I wonder if Jesus went to the cross and he did it afraid because he knew the joy set before him and he was angry at what sin had done to his good creation and to people that he loved. And he was grieved because it had to come to this, but he felt compassion upon all of us like sheep without a shepherd. So he did it afraid. Every fear is rooted in a core fear. Hebrews 2.11 says this. This is our core fear, friends. Jesus came to set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. That's the core fear of all other fears. Is that we're all gonna die. So maybe we don't go whistling past the graveyard. Maybe we face our fears with faith, with truth, with courage. We move forward to the unknown and we put not our great faith, but our faith in a great savior. And we get out of the boat because he came to set us free from the fear of death. And that by placing our life in his hands, we don't have to fear death anymore. And we can keep getting out of the boat every day and every step of the way. Let's pray together. Father, what a gift to be together. What a gift to be in your scriptures. And Father, fear is not always a fun conversation, but we all have them. And we need your strength. We need your wisdom and discernment to identify what they are and where they're working and we need your courage, and we need your faith, and we need your truth to cleanse us, to to uncloud our perceptions so that we can move forward well, that we might be big people, open-hearted people, broken-hearted people that lean into the world in such a way that really believes we have something good to say. Help us. No matter what happens, no matter the future, no matter this week, we trust you. You're big enough. 
You've adopted us as your sons and your daughters. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Help us trust that you're at work even now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.